Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You know, do something for that inner child, that wounded inner child inside of you that you didn't get. You parent yourself. You love yourself. You find ways to love this world because anytime you do that, you're taking that love with you into eternity. Welcome, everybody, to the Jeff Mara Podcast. If you are listening to this in your car or on your iPod or your mobile phone or whatever, there is also a YouTube video of this on the Jeff Mara podcast YouTube channel. So if you want to check that out as well, that would be amazing. And speaking of amazing, we have a super amazing guest tonight. Her name is Trisha Barker. Trisha experienced a profound near-death experience during her senior year of college and this experience guided her to teach overseas in public schools and at the college level. Her near-death experience story has been featured on Survived Beyond and Back, National Geographic Magazine, Simple Grace Magazine, Women's World Magazine, Coast to Coast AM, AM, and The Dr. Oz Show. She is the author of the book, Angels in the OR, What Dying Taught Me About Healing, Survival, and Transformation. And she has an active YouTube channel called Near Death Experienced Healed by the Light. Trisha, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really, really appreciate you, especially since today is the debate and we're both skipping the debate to talk about something spiritual, which is great. Um, thanks again. Yeah, I try to remember that all the things we worry about right now, 50 years from now, they won't most likely matter that much to us. And what matters is love. And this is a message of love. And love is all we take with us when we go. So we don't take the debates with us. We take love. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is so true. So most of my audience is really into NDEs. So can we just start right on the day of your accident and go from there? Yeah. So if you're not familiar with my story, I was an agnostic college student, uh, somewhat of a party girl and really materialistic, focused on success to some degree in a materialistic way. I just didn't care about spirituality or religion. It just wasn't an interest. I, I was kind of uh, raised around judgmental, abusive people who called themselves Christians. So I had, I was done with it. And mm -hmm. um, I, I liked education. You know, that's where I felt at home, mm -hmm. um, enjoyed college. I was on my way to run the Austin 10K and I pretty much had a head-on collision. So it was a bad car accident and I broke my back in three places, didn't have wow. health insurance. Oh. And as you might imagine, that added some complications because neurosurgeons in a big college town, this is Austin, they are busy. There's a lot of wrecks. And so there's a lot of college students, you know, taking chances. And so I waited 17 hours with internal injuries and was losing feeling in my leg because bone was pressing on the spine. I didn't know if I was going to walk or not. I, I believed I was going to live, but everything in my mind was seriously concerned about the physical. I, I just didn't even think about the spiritual. I said one little foxhole prayer, like, oh God, help me, you know, but everything else was, am I going to walk? What's going to happen? You know, just that kind of concern. Were you waiting on your surgery, like while they scope out your insurance or something? Is that what you think what's going on? Why the, why there well, wasn't I over. Yeah, I overheard two nurses say that one surgeon wasn't coming in because I didn't have health insurance. He was on the golf course, and I've always kind of hated 
people who play golf. So no, not really, but, but, you know, like I just thought of him on the golf course and I got really upset, Mm -hmm. you know, at this thought that someone could just throw me away basically. So, and I don't know his name. I don't know who he was, but, but there was an off duty surgeon and she had been on duty for 40 hours. So she had to go rest and she had to eat before she could operate on me. So uh, when I met her, I was like, please operate on me. And she took the case, but I still had to wait without painkillers largely because they didn't know how bad my internal injuries were. So they didn't want to prescribe anything. So basically I was strapped to a board screaming and crying for 17 hours. Did you end up having massive medical bills after that? That's a really good question that no one ever asked me. So the University of Texas paid for some of it. They were kind. And um, I did file bankruptcy after that because I left the hospital. I was in the hospital for nine days. I was in ICU afterwards for three days and, you know, had to learn to walk again, needed all kind of rehabilitation. So, yeah, I was $150,000 in debt even after UT paying for some of it. And my first college or my first teaching job was under 30,000. Yeah, <laughs> so wow. I just filed bankruptcy. Wow. I could easily see it closer to a million dollar medical bill for that. Yeah, this was 94. So it was uh, maybe not quite as, as bad, but, mm-hmm. but you know, that's all the physical stuff. What's amazing is I was taken into surgery and somewhere in the middle of that surgery, my heart stopped and mm-hmm. my spirit body left my form. And I cannot tell you how excited I was. I mean, mm-hmm. really those first seconds out of body, mm-hmm. I was thrilled that I was wrong. I thought we just went into the ground, you know, as an agnostic. So I thought, Oh, whatever, you know, we'd merge with the earth, some kind mm-hmm. of, you know, com- combination of, of that. But my spirit form had an identity. It was like the real me. I looked at this physical world and I thought, this is more like a play. Like we're just acting. Our souls are what are important. And this is what carries us through. And I got that in the first few moments. And I didn't think it was a dream or a hallucination Mm -hmm. at all. So I really knew. Let me backtrack on that. You were about to have your surgery or were you in pain and popped out or had they had started? When did you oh, actually no, pop like, out? Yeah, I, I popped out somewhere in the middle of the surgery. So, so they took me into surgery and, and my back was open. So the first thing I saw and mm-hmm. I, I remember looking at it was, oh, it's so bloody. So I have a big incision mm-hmm. in my back and they were taking bone from my hip to put it into my spine. And basically I fractured three vertebrae. So they had in the 90s, they put rods there and then they put hooks above the vertebrae and below it. So we're talking a long incision and I had internal injuries. So blood was just kind of pouring onto the sheet Mm -hmm. and I was looking down at my body and I was kind of grossed out like, Oh, that's a lot of blood, but I'm so glad that I'm not that body. I mean, like there was real disconnection that I was just certain that the spirit form was more important than that body on the table. Yeah. I find that interesting because one time I had, the only time I was under any type of anesthesia was I had to have my, I had to have a, a scope down my throat and they just said, okay, you're going to five, four, three, two, one. And it was just like blackness until I woke up when it was over. So I find it interesting that they probably did something and you went blackness, but then all of a sudden in the middle of the surgery, you just kind of went and popped out. And Instead of waking up like at the end of the surgery, yeah. did you when you immediately got out of your body? Did were you just like, hey, whoa, what, what, where were you? Did you already know <laughs> that? You, did you were you like confused and like, hey, where am I? Or were you just no. like, hey, there's my body. What am I doing here? I felt excited. I mean, I have to tell you that I just knew that my spirit form was more than this body, and I was wrong about being an agnostic. I just knew mm-hmm. that we continue on. And there were two nine foot angels behind the surgeons. So these angels were these light beings. I didn't call them angels at first. They were just highly intelligent beings with light that emanated from their eyes and they spoke telepathically. And I felt as if I was learning things really quickly. So my soul was understanding that I was out of body. They were there to calm me down, to show me that everything was going to be okay. And they were almost playful. They sent this light through the back of the surgeons and it lit up my whole body. And I remember thinking, oh, those brilliant surgeons think that they're doing such a good job on my back, but they're actually being assisted by these light beings. And and I knew that I'd walk and I'd run. And, and I knew that these angels were somehow a part of the healing, these light beings. I... I was just amazed that they were there for me. And, Mm -hmm. 
you know, people a lot of times don't understand, um, you know, the concept of angels, but I think that they are there for us when we get a tough diagnosis or when we're going through something incredibly difficult. And I think they help many people transition. That's what I've come to believe now. So in that moment, when I'm out of body before, I think the quote near-death experience begins because my heart hadn't flatlined at that time. Mm -hmm. They are there, I'm out of body, and then the monitor flatlines. And at that point, I knew I was dead and I knew that the surgeons were going to have to start doing something. And and Mm -hmm. my back was open and this this would be bloody and gross, so I didn't want to see it. Mm -hmm. So I left to that room. And the spirit body can just go through a wall. So I remember going through my first wall really quickly and then I'm just out and then I went through some more walls and I was standing in this waiting room area and there was a vending machine and I saw my stepdad walk and get a candy bar. I don't know why I saw him and I didn't know why in that moment, but that became the moment that researchers love because it's a verifiable moment outside of form. So that's why National Geographic and Dr. Oz and so many people have taken interest in my story Mm -hmm. is I later verified that he did indeed get that candy bar. And at that moment, my mom and dad we're certain I died. And I know that parents have a spiritual, physical bond with mm-hmm. their their kids. And mm-hmm. I know that they felt it when I was about to die because they were both on their knees praying, certain that I had died. And I just saw my stepdad. And then I was out over the night sky in Austin. I left the hospital. And many near-death experiencers have what they call a moment of oneness. And my moment of oneness was just this happiness. Mm. Every person that I'd ever met, talked to, I just wanted to say, hey, enjoy your life. Love everything about it. Enjoy it. Be good. Be happy. And Mm. goodbye. I mean, Mm. that was basically all my soul wanted to say. Because I didn't know, even though the angels said I'd be back and I'd walk and run, my soul was floating above Austin. (laughs) I thought, am I coming back? Am I not? What's, what's next? And I, I transitioned through this portal, kind of a a quick tunnel into like the stars behind you, this beautiful galaxy of stars with lots of light. And I just was floating there and I felt this, I call it the light of God, but you know, it could be ultimate consciousness. It was just divine intelligence that felt so beautiful and healing coming toward me and it was far away still, but I felt it. And then it it projected almost like a hologram um, parts of my life into mm-hmm. the night sky. So it was almost like I was watching this movie in the night sky mm-hmm. and I saw different parts of my life. Some of these parts of my life were good. Like I was a kid who loved nature and prayed and, mm-hmm. and God liked those moments. You know, it was like, that's beautiful. I was shown one moment where I needed to change. And this is a moment I was 22 and I was kind of judgmental. And there were some people who I worked with who I didn't think they were quote cool. They were older than me and they didn't go to my college and they didn't like the same things I like. So I just didn't have time for them. I didn't talk to them, wasn't interested in them. They actually went home and prayed for me Mm. because they felt that I was sad And when I saw that they actually cared about me and I didn't take the time to like them, I just felt so deeply embarrassed Mm -hmm. and so deeply ashamed. And then I just saw how beautiful they were inside. And I thought, wow, so many more people are just beautiful inside. And I need to get to know the hearts of people. I need to look into their hearts the way God looks into our hearts. God sees that we're good from the inside. And that was such a huge lesson for me at that time in my life. Just I knew that I'd come back and care for people at this deeper level. And then the near-death experience kind of continued on. It wasn't as if I was controlling anything, though. It was as if I could fly and I felt this great freedom, but there was this progression. And out of that that moment where I was looking at my life, I transitioned into this beautiful green area. And my grandfather was there. He was the only person who was dead. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed a lot of researchers Mm -hmm. and they always say near-death experiencers always connect with someone who is dead. They're not Mm -hmm. connecting with someone who is alive still. You Mm -hmm. know, they're when they meet someone in that afterlife, they have been there a while. Mm -hmm. And my my granddad died when I was 10, and then I was 22 at that time. He looked very young. I didn't I didn't recognize him at first because he died of leukemia in his 70s, but in heaven, he looked about 35 and his eyes glowed with health and he just looked beautiful. And yet he seemed to love me. And I understood that, okay, this is my grandfather because he 
brought of all things with him this truck. And this is where people kind of go a truck in heaven. That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you sure this isn't a dream. And I, I have to say that it isn't, it was his way of saying everything that is lost is regained in heaven because this truck Mm -hmm. sat in our front yard and it rusted and my dad didn't take care of it. And it just, it, it was ugly, you know, and there in heaven, it was this beautiful truck again. And and I decided to be a child. So my soul at that moment decided, oh, if he can be young, then I can be at any age, I'll be a child. Mm-hmm. And I sat in the back of this truck and he drove me through this beautiful green grass. And I just felt the deepest peace I'd felt in so long, like just deeply peaceful mm-hmm. and as if I could just rest for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. But at some point he looked at me and he said, Hey, look up there. There's this, you know, beautiful light. And I knew that that meant God. And suddenly I got really excited. And he said, do you want to continue on? And I said, I do. And my spirit started flying toward that light of God. And I felt different people's prayers and I could hear every word that they said. And they were trying to pull me back into my body. Mm. One aunt had lost a daughter in a car wreck and she was begging God that I'd not die. Mm. And I remember thinking at this point, oh, that's cool, but I'm about to meet God. (laughs) You know, like, I I don't care. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to meet God. And as I got closer and closer to that energy of God, I'd never felt so good in my life. Like mm-hmm. in my human body, I'd never felt totally comfortable. I'd always felt a little insecure or a little bit in pain or a little bit odd, never fully happy. And all I can say is I felt safe, happy, loved, right, loved exactly the way I am and just bursting with joy. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like that was the birthright of every person. Like we should feel that good. Mm -hmm. And it's just a shame that we don't. And I knew it in the presence of God. And of course I never wanted to come back because that's the best feeling ever. You know, Mm -hmm. that love is just so intense. And yet I was stopped and there was this barrier, this energetic barrier and I hit it and I wanted to keep going towards God because I didn't know, you know, what happens when you get closer and closer. Do you understand more? I did notice that my own energy field has had changed. Like that love had somehow changed me, but I hit this barrier. God said, look down. There was this river and there were many different souls. Some of the souls had light around them as if they were connected to God. Other souls had a shadow, like darkness around them. And I remember asking like, what does the shadow mean? And God was like, oh, that's fear. And it blocks them from the light of God, it blocks them, you know, from the light of their knowing. And so it was just love or fear. And that was it. And that seemed really simple. <laughs> from that point of view, it, it gets really complicated here. But over there, there's so much at the soul level that that makes a lot of sense on a metaphoric level. And so God was like, you're going to go back and you're going to teach. And I understood that this was not spiritual teacher. This was actually teach in schools. Mm. And I was upset at that. I was like, no, 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 God, uh, you, you mm. misunderstand who I am. <laughs> you know, like mm. this girl wanted to not do something traditional that women do. She wanted to do something that was going to bring her money and and acclaim in some way, not teaching. And God kind of laughed at that point. And that was the last thing that I had in that realm. And I almost felt like my soul was thrown back into my body, like a softball or something. Like I remember hurling through this darkness and then I was back in my body. Wow. All right. I have lots of questions. Plus we have a question here. Let's catch this one first. When your spirit was floating and the doctors were working on your body, did you want to come back to the earthly life or did you want to stay there? And I think we kind Yeah, of- I wanted to stay. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely wanted to stay, but it was in waves. So initially when I just felt this oneness with everyone, I was, I was kind of liking the freedom of flying around out there. It was fun. Mm -hmm. You know, it was the first time I'd probably ever flown. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'd never had a lucid dream as a kid or something. And I just felt this freedom that you don't feel. I mean, we all dream of flying. So Mm -hmm. that was the first moment that was just exciting. But yeah, once I touched that love of God, Mm -hmm. I knew that this realm was not the same and was a little bit more painful. Right. I have another question here is asking, do you felt like you were forced to come back? Yeah. Like there, there was not a choice. There was not a discussion. Like I I was 
forced into two things. I mean, I, I think if I would have gone against God's will, I think my life would have been a big mess. So if I, if I would have come back and said, no, I'm not going to be a teacher, I think I would have just been miserable doing other careers. And there would have been so many things that would have gone wrong Mm -hmm. that I would have had to try teaching at some point. So I was given a mission, an actual mission from heaven to go into the teaching field. And I did not get to argue to stay there at all. I was sent back. That was it. I want to go back to, can you describe what the angels look like? Were they like your traditional angels? I mean, you said energy. Did they have wings or did they just look like silhouettes of people with energy? Or did you actually, could you make out like characteristics of their faces and and anything like that yeah it's it's an important question they were androgynous to begin with so they were either um you know they they weren't either sex but they had longish hair that was kind of wavy but it wasn't like a color of hair the way you have color to Mm -hmm. your hair it's it was as if they were made of light this bluish grayish yellow. I mean, like it's hard to describe. It's, it's all kinds of light at one time Mm -hmm. and they were very large and they seemed ancient as if they had come from another realm, as if they weren't human, as if they understood something about the spiritual realm at a deeper level than I understood. So I felt kind of in awe of them. I didn't see wings it was just flowy energy. So if they took off with wings, you know, maybe, maybe they had them behind them, but the way they were standing, Mm -hmm. it was just as if the energy was wavy and it was, it was almost as if they took on a form just to take on a form, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, that they were intelligent consciousness and light. And this form made sense to my soul that since I was in college and I loved, you know, my professors who were deeply thoughtful and intelligent. Maybe they took on this form of intelligence so that I would just kind of look at them with reverence and listen to what they had to say in that moment. But they, they seem to have characteristics that I appreciated, if that makes sense. So maybe everybody's angels Mm. suit them. Mm. That's interesting. I love music and sound oriented. So um, besides maybe hearing telepathic conversations, because I'm assuming that all happened telepathically, did you hear music or can you recall any kind of sounds that you heard or was it like a soundless place? You know, that's what's so strange. I I love different near-death experiences that feature music. The only bit of sound that I got was when I was in that beautiful holding place, I like to call it, where my grandfather was in nature. The the wind almost had a musicality to it as it was blowing through the grass. There was just this playfulness of, of everything working together and the grass was so deeply alive, but it was mostly telepathy when I heard God's kind of voice in a sense, it seemed to boom within me and it wasn't masculine or feminine, but it was just this booming voice. But a lot of times I saw actual words coming at me. Maybe this is just me, but uh, when the angels said, watch this, when they sent this light through the surgeons, it was like words were written. And I also saw the words, love is all that matters, you know, the floating in the sky, um, remind them to be like a little child. There were certain messages that were coming from the light when I was in that starscape place that were actually kind of written in the sky. And then they came into my soul as if that I should be imprinted with these words, almost like you'd get a tattoo. Like if my soul has tattoos, it would be like, be like a little child, remind them to go to nature. Love is all that matters. (laughs) Wow. That's interesting. When you saw God, was God also kind of like a light being like the angels or was he just kind of like a beam of light coming at you or how would you describe that? You know, it kind of looked like the sun. And then as I was getting closer, Mm -hmm. the light just became an energy that filled me with love. And so I call it the light of God. Maybe I didn't get past this point where I could actually see God, or maybe God is just a consciousness, Mm -hmm. this loving consciousness that we can't, that maybe appears in a form to some people because that gives them comfort, but maybe other people are fine with just calling God a consciousness that Mm -hmm. is in everything that is in plants, animals, us, and Mm -hmm. and all living things. So when you get back into your body, 
you know you're forced back into your body like as if you wake up from your surgery are you now conscious or are you back for a while and then you kind of like wake up you know, groggy. So some people struggle to remember their near death experience or they remember it, you know, weeks later after I'm, I'm one of those rare people who I'd read about them beforehand. I knew the minute. So as soon as the nurses were giving me ice chips, I felt myself in my body. I knew that I was still dealing with the after effects of anesthesia and I could feel the heat in my body from the surgery but I knew what had just happened, but I also was still connected to that consciousness Mm. outside of, so I felt like I was outside of my body, filling up the room. I felt that I was this light and then I was myself. It was really Mm. strange. And they kept asking me my name and I felt like I was forced into my body. Mm. And I said, oh yeah, yeah. I remember her name because I still felt connected to something greater. And Mm. then eventually I had to say, yes, okay, I'm Tricia. But it was so strange. I would feel connected to people's thoughts. I would feel, I would jump into other people's consciousness. I was, but I was also aware that I was taking morphine. And so in, in the hospital, I knew that I was both this consciousness that had experienced this near death experience. And I was also a body in pain and a body dealing with a lot of pain. And I, I worried that all the medications might make me forget. So I asked for a notebook and I wrote down my near-death experience, fearing I might forget it, um, but I never forgot it. (laughs) It just, it burned really bright for me. That's amazing. So you immediately started recording it. Um, At that point then, did you immediately decide, like when you went back to school, okay, I'm changing my major now, I'm going to, you know, get an education degree? Yeah. um, So I was, I already was an English major, but I had a I had looked into law school and I was also considering editing, but I went back and I took the certification to get a teaching Mm -hmm. certification and went through that and did my student teaching in Austin and, and really just kind of dug in. It took a full nine months to recover. Mm -hmm. And then I was back the next year. Oh, interesting. Have you found like anything profound in your teaching career since then? Yeah. So what I realized, God works in, in the most you know mysterious ways. It's a cliche to say that, but teaching healed me. So I'd had kind of a tough childhood and I was very aware of the misfit kids, the shy kids, the ones who did experienced abuse, the ones who were going through tough times, whereas other teachers might judge them. I knew when to step in. I knew when to figure out hey, this kid needs extra help and I'm going to walk him or her to the counselor and I'm going to call CPS. So I really just became someone who was very much in touch with the emotions of my students. And I also think I was good at encouraging them. Like you'd be surprised how few people get compliments on what they do well. You know, like they're they're often controlled and told do this, do that, you know, and, and that's what school is about. And I found that if I just showered people with compliments about what they actually did well, they flourished. If I believed that my students would do well, they rose to that occasion and it was just great fun. So a lot of the wounds that I had, I think were healed along the way. And then I also realized that service is important, that a lot of people suffer from depression and I had suffered from depression. I'd even, um, you know, considered and and took pills to kill myself before this near-death experience. So I had suffered great depression. And I found that if I was in motion, helping other people who were struggling far, far worse than I struggled, mm-hmm. I felt connected to the light. I felt as if God and angels and, and their ancestors were working through me for the benefit of these students. And I had the benefit of that. So service doesn't just help other people. It helps you. And that's what I realized is we're all connected. You know, the near death experience showed me that moment of oneness and teaching is a real interesting career and that you're connected to a group for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And that's your group. And, and you also have power. So out in the world, things can be a little bit more confusing because you can be victimized, but in a school system, largely you're in control as that teacher. So as the authority figure, it was safe for me to love these kids, you know, unconditionally and for me to believe in them. It wasn't as safe out there in the world, 22, 25, 26 year old woman, you know, like that, that put me in danger at times, that attitude, but 
being in that realm with some authority. It was, it was great. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if you believe in this or not. We'll see. Uh, a, do you believe in reincarnation or not? And B, maybe your whole point was you were supposed to be a teacher in this lifetime <laughs> and you needed a little reminding. Possibly. You know, at first I... I was, I had a barrier against the idea of past lives, but then when I moved to Boston, I just had all these dreams of dying in the 1920s. And I, I, when I got to Boston, I just recognized older streets and it was just so weird. Like I didn't need a map. I just felt as if I'd lived there before. And I just understood this town, like a 1920s version of the town. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was fascinating. And then Fairly recently, the last couple of years, I've had a few past life regressions and they have shifted major things in my life. So mm-hmm. if you're working on an issue and you just don't understand the block, you're like, oh my God, I've been working on this for 10 years. Why can't I get past it? Sometimes a past life regression really helps. And I didn't know if that oneness experience just put me in touch with every living being that had ever been there. And I just held on to a few of them or if I'd actually lived these lives, but whatever the case, all I can say is a good past life regressionist uh, can really shift things. So I'm, I'm leaning towards believing that there were past lives. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, on my podcast, I had a guy past life therapist. I'm not sure if I'm saying that properly, but a lot of people's problems that don't get resolved appear to get resolved when you do that. And it seemed really interesting and um, really fascinating. For well, yeah. Physical things, financial things, not, yeah. I mean, like things that blew me away, things mm-hmm. that I have not been able to shift for 10 years and mm-hmm. two weeks changed after a past life regression yeah, session. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I just kind of asked him about, okay, what about people who are appear to be afraid of success, you know, this fear of success. And and I wasn't prepared for that answer. And I think he said it's pretty common. And he said, basically, you know, in your last life, you were successful and you were killed for it, you know, for some yeah. reason. So and you don't want to be successful this life. So you don't, you don't want to end up that way again. So that's why maybe you end up limiting <laughs> yourself or who knows what. And think how many of us who are talking about these spiritual truths were burned at the stake or killed or poisoned in other lives, you right. know, for, for talking in ways that were considered uh, dangerous in those times. I'm sure so many of us have had those experiences. Mm-hmm. What I found during some past life regressions is that the energy of what it feels like to be in a good relationship or the energy of what it feels like to be successful is what I took away from it. Cause I was holding a different energy in my body. I was holding one of conflict from this life instead of just ease, you know, what it felt like to just be easy and peaceful and happy and kind of take that energy or what it felt like to be strong and stand up for, you know, my art and my uh, profession and know that it has worth and value in this world. You know, in other lives, I was able to do that, but I was also mean and afraid of death in that other life. So it was really kind of beautiful. I was able to meet that self that could ask for a high price in that other life and then comfort that person who was afraid of dying and say, hey, it's okay, I'm you in the future. And there was an energy exchange between us. It was really beautiful. Speaking of that, uh, are you afraid of death now at this point in your life? <laughs> it's such a great question. So I have told this you know, in other um, <laughs> another podcast, but I was in a plane that was going down. And I mean, we were told to get in play in crash position. And the guy next to me was crying. He had kids and I was holding his hand and I said, man, it's okay. If we hit the ground, our bodies are just going to immediately leave and we're going to meet God immediately. So just think about that. Just like pray with me right here and just focus on God because we're maybe going there, but we'll also pray that, you know, we have a good landing. (laughs) And and so we're praying and, you know, like people are screaming and crying. And then what the engine catches at the last moment, we make an emergency landing. And he turned to me and he's like, who are you? (laughs) And I was like, someone who's not afraid to die. (laughs) And, and, uh, and, And so everybody went out and got a drink, you know, like, and I just jumped on the next plane because I wasn't afraid. So, I'm not afraid of a quick death. And I think a lot of near death experiencers talk about that. If someone had a gun pointed at me or if, you know, I was destined, you know, to die quickly, that doesn't scare me. 
Eh, physical pain, not my favorite thing. Right. <laughs> so the long drawn out battle with, with some type of disease does not excite me, you know, mm-hmm. but the actual transition mm-hmm. is not scary. Yeah. That's, a, that's generally a pretty common answer I hear is about what you said. You know, they don't, they don't want to be in pain, but the death part's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So now, you know, it's been 20, 20 years, right? Since this happened. Yeah. Do you, over. do you feel like you still connect with other reality and have you gained, well, let's just start there first and I'll ask another question after that. Yeah. So what I called it in the early days was, Hey, I crossed the veil. So if I see a ghost, you know, if I have to help that ghost go to the light, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. That just happens. And if there's someone talking to me from the spirit world, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to talk about it. Um, I, I had all kind of psychic flashes and I had lots of conversations and with, um, ancestors and other people's ancestors, but I I didn't call it mediumship and I didn't really make a big deal about it. I just, I just thought, ah, this is just what I do. So I just thought the veil was thinned because I died. Right. And it's only recently that I've realized other people want to do this. And I think we all have that ability to connect to the other side. So I'm actually teaching a workshop where I hope that my energy and my explanations and my way of showing people how this can be done helps them. And, and that's, yeah, that's just my hope. And a lot of mediums hope is that, Hey, you can be your own medium. You can really tap into your own intuition. You can study it a little bit more and you can do this. Hmm. So that's interesting that you're basically a medium too. Uh, How do you do it? Do they just come (laughs) to you at certain times or do you see them in dreams or do you have to like meditate to see them? You know, some people do that. They they will get a spirit coming to them ahead of time before the person even asks for the reading. I personally shut it out. I've, I've tried that ahead of time, and I don't like all the interference because it gets confusing for me. Personally, um, I just, I might meditate five minutes before a call, or, or I might just pray with that person and then just tune in to energy. Some spirits are really strong and they'll stay with me after a reading. If they personally like me, you know, like they want to keep talking to me and it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. I'm like, all right. So-and-so's father, you know, like mm-hmm. you go talk to her, you know, she misses you. you know, And, wow. and so there's this, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of cute. You never know. You have some ghosts <laughs> floating with you or what? <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> uh, but, still have but it's just interesting. I'm sorry, I was going to say they still have some attachment to the physical body and world. Yeah, some of them do. And it's interesting which ones are. So sometimes someone who maybe didn't live the best life still had an openness to out-of-body experiences and spirituality. And they're really strong. Like they understand that environment pretty quickly. So even if they died a few weeks ago and, you know, you're talking with someone, they're, they've already integrated it. They were ready for it. They were ready. Their soul was just ready for that realm. And then, then others need sometimes like a moment of healing and it's, you know, time is relative over there, but some people just want to take a break from everything that happened. And they, they just want to feel God's love and kind of be encased in, in healing. So where are they? Are they kind of like you were here and, and they haven't, crossed over to be with God full time? Are they, you know, like they just have, are they like the people you mentioned earlier that have fear or they just want to kind of hang out here or are they stuck and you have to help them pass over? Most people have already transitioned. They've already done their life reviews. They've already been there near God. And in a split second, they're connected to their loved ones. So they will just come in and they try to send images or signs or things that will help their loved one understand that I'm talking to the actual person, Mm -hmm. you know, and it might just be images of their last few years or images that were important to them. And it's just a way of communicating. So they're connected in love to their loved one. And, and they kind of hang out in this energetic way in case their loved one needs them. So say you, had to go into the hospital for something, anyone, your grandparent, you know, who's over there Mm. might just go, okay, well, I'm going to be at the hospital with him. You know, I'm going to be waiting just in case something goes wrong. Like I care about him. I'm going to, I'm going to stand there, you know, like, so they care on this energetic level for us. And anytime we're in danger, anytime 
we might transition or there might be a need for them, they're there. And I think that's kind of comforting to know that they're there. There are some, and it's very rare, I think souls who I, you know, some people might call it purgatory, but maybe they have a lot to learn Mm -hmm. that maybe they lived in a way that was uh, very hurtful to people. So they might have to see like a lot of history lessons, a lot of relearning. It's kind of like an education, a re-education. And and God is still loving in that time, but maybe it's just showing the soul how they might've been different. Mm -hmm. Kind of the way I was shown how to be different, but really an extended version of that, just Mm -hmm. so that the soul gets educated enough, you know, to enter that place of absolute love. Do you feel like some of the spirits or souls, however you want to call it, some of them want to stay and be near families and some of them are like, okay, they'll be okay. I'm going off somewhere else. And if they do go somewhere <laughs> yes, else, where do, you fact, think, where do you think they're going? Okay, that's a great question. So some souls are a little more free than others. And other people want to know, do they reincarnate back into the same family systems? Do they stay near? Some people's parents who I've connected with are still very attached to their kids and they want their kids to be fine. They might explore things in that other realm, but they certainly are watching their loved ones. And my father happens to be a pretty free spirit. So he was there with me for several years. But as time has gone on, his message to me is consistently, you've got this, you're fine. I'll see you soon. Yeah. And I'm like, soon? What do you mean yeah, soon? soon. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know, it's relative. <laughs> and, yeah. and so he's like uh, very much a free soul who wants me to rely on my own knowing and to believe that I'm doing okay in life and I don't have to rely on him like a crutch in a sense Mm -hmm. to invest more in real people than the spirit world. I know that sounds kind of, kind of uh, strange, but you know, like create loving bonds here instead of just, you know, my spirit dad. Mm -hmm. Oh, let me catch another question here. After you came back, how do you treat people that you don't like and how do you react to people that are rude to you? (laughs) So that's a good question. I wish I could be the enlightened person in the rest of life that I am in the classroom. The classroom is such a great metaphor because a kid could call me every name in the book and I would look at this teenager and I'd go, wow, what's going on in your home life? Like who calls you names? You know, what's, why are you so angry? Why do you want to hurt me? And, and, you know, then they'd be humbled, you know, a lot of times and they'd tell me, you know, like their dad hits them or, you know, something kind of painful and when when I'm able to have detachment and go, hey, you're hurting, you're in a lot of fear, you're projecting a lot of darkness onto me, then healing can occur. But, you know, I've been viciously attacked since stepping forward. I mean, I, I talk about some really intense topics. So mm. early on, you know, I, I was blogging before I wrote the book and I was writing about um, sexual assault. And I was writing about, you know, some really tough topics. And this woman in a spiritual community attacked me and said, I don't believe, you know, you're qualified to talk about this. I don't believe you've been sexually assaulted. I don't, but you know, just like, wow. it, cause she was jealous about a guy or something. <laughs> just, I mean, like really weird stuff has happened. Like I've come across people who have been so hurtful, but what I've realized is that, um, made me stronger because the message of light needs to be out there and you don't let people stop you from that. Um, You know, and you also, I've had to learn a balance between, you know, there's a time to call the police. There's a time to report harassment. There's a time when people have to be removed from communities, just like a school Mm -hmm. students have to go to detention. Sometimes you can do it lovingly and they can come back and be, you know, open to learning again, but there have to be real consequences for narcissistic abuse and, mm-hmm. and abuse and bullying in general. Like we can't just let that run rampant and go, Oh, love and light. You know, like there's, <laughs> there's a need to be tough at times. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I wish I could be enlightened. Have I been enlightened in my personal life and every situation? Oh my God, no. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've reacted out of ego and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I wish I could go back and mm-hmm. always be that, you know, enlightened teacher who has the right response to bring love to, you know, every situation. But honestly, sometimes the best you can do is create peace through different channels. Yeah. Obviously you haven't become a saint. You're still a person like the rest of us and you still have to deal with reality like, you know, all of us. So we all just do the best we can and, and continue along our path. 
I believe you have another book out about poetry and is it about narcissism or there, you have something to do with a book and narcissism? Is that true? Yeah, it's a timely topic. So my book is called Loving Narcissus and Sometimes God. And so basically the first half of the book is really kind of about that ego struggle of, you know, loving the wrong people or, or being in abusive relationships or not being loved in some way um, and looking for the wrong things in life. And then the second half of the book is loving God, because really when I turn my eyes to God, when I work as if I'm inspired, as if God is working through me, then all works out well. When I focus on my needs and my desires and wait, is this, is this person, you know, the right person for me? Nothing works out well. So, you know, I think in all areas of our life, we have to keep turning towards what is divinely right for us. What is inspired and how can I be a channel of love in my relationships? How can I be a channel of love in my work? How can I be a channel of love in this world? And then how do I protect myself? Because I love myself too. And I think that's a lot of people come back very open and very loving after a near-death experience. And and honestly, they are sociopath and narcissist magnets because, I mean, if you think about it, if you're helping the poor and you're hugging people and you don't care, you know, like who a person is, you see the light in them. A narcissist or a sociopath is like, I can manipulate that person, you know, so some of it is not my fault and my wounds. I think some of it is just coming back super loving and I was just a big shiny target. You know, it's amazing because my last guest was a woman with that had an NDE. And she's now working on her second book about narcissists. And I was just like, huh. whoa, what is going on here? These are like two people in a row. And I'm like, okay, may, do NDE survivors or experiencers somehow attract narcissists? Like, I mean, or is it just a coincidence that it's just two in a row? <laughs> well, I think when it happens to you when you're young and you don't have a lot of life experience, then you come back super loving and really you have, you're an endless supply of love and you see the best in people. So a narcissist needs that. They need a constant supply of belief and, and good vibes, you know, in their direction. So you really are a good match for a narcissist and you're seeing the best mm -hmm. and believing that that person can transition into their best self. And so it, it becomes a little bit of an unhealthy dynamic because you know, I will never give up on a student. So I will never think that, you know, even if the student drops out, if they're in a gang, if they're selling drugs, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at that student and going, I'm going to say one thing to help him on his journey and later he's going to heal. And so I can fall into that in a relationship and that's not good for me though. <laughs> you know, like, it's fine in my professional career, but you know, in a romantic relationship, you have to think, well, how much of your energy is being sucked from you and what are you getting in return? You know, like, are you being are you safe at all in this, in this dynamic? But I think we forget that because we're so focused on, I've got to help everyone. And yeah. And so there's a lot to learn. Yeah. As I think about it, because I generally try to want to focus on the best in people. And, um, you know, maybe sometimes even for me personally, that's not a bad place because I just don't see the, uh, maybe I'm not, I'm choosing not to see the wrong in people or I'm naive and not seeing the wrong people. But I always feel like I want to look through this lens of like, okay, I want to see the best in people. And it's kind of a, you yeah. know, how do you manage that to say, okay, well, should I be skeptical of people as well or what? I think the best thing is kind of, I'm coming into more of a neutral mind, you know, like I, I believe in the best, but I don't just like against all odds, believe I'm going to throw all of my energy into a really, really negative situation. Like I'm going to give it some energy and I'm going to be neutral and I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to give good energy and make sure I'm taking care of myself. So that's, that's the balance is not to, um, not to risk too much of one's life force, one's finances, you know, anything that would harm your life in, into a negative situation that, you know, in general, a little bit more neutral is where I've come. <laughs> you know, I think I'm always going to lean towards the positive. Mm -hmm. it, there are different people that I know, like psychologists who they say, I always see the darkness first. And I'm like, oh, I always see the light. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I just always will. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mm -hmm. 
All right, here's a question I've never even seen before, so I hope it's not too out there. In the other world, do people think about their sexual life? <laughs> you know, I can answer this more from lucid dreaming than I can from the near-death experience because I didn't have a body and everything seemed so spiritual. <laughs> like, But I practiced lucid dreaming later when I was in the body cast and I was healing. I was very bored and I realized I could still have out-of-body experiences. So after a month of of trying, I had this profound lucid experience and I flew and I heard music. I felt like I was Mozart composing all his his operas and I had just all these amazing experiences. And then I thought, well, could I make love to some really good looking movie stars? And so, you know, it's like I did in spirit, but it was more like spirits just blended. It wasn't like this big pornographic scene. It was more just like kind of soul love, like we flew through each other. So I guess that's part of, I joke, like, mm-hmm. why do we keep reincarnating? Um, is it for the good food, the sex and, and the music and the dancing? And, you know, is it all of these hedonistic things? Sometimes I think so, you know, like, yeah. maybe we literally miss snacks over there. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's like a trap that pulls us back. <laughs> and I think how silly am I if like, I keep coming back for Indian food and making out. Oh, wow. <laughs> You mentioned, like, come on, just be. <laughs> you mentioned that you were having out of body experiences. Are you still having those? Are you still able to do that? Like pop you out know, of your body? It is um, something that takes a little bit of practice. So if I and like I'm kind of stressed out and overworked right now, I'm teaching at the community college and doing a lot of things. It would probably take me a good month of meditation, making sure I go to bed early, that I don't have caffeine after a certain point in the day, that I take you know, this extra time of not looking at technology before bed and really setting the intention to have a lucid dream. And and for me, you know, it's different for everyone. It might be one week to a month of that kind of practice, mm-hmm. you know, no sugar, no stimulants, no alcohol, you know, nothing before mm-hmm. bed that's going to interfere with that. Then I'll be able to lucid dream. And I think that's, yeah, that's kind of a, a good barometer for a lot of people. If you want to have one is start a practice. And can you explain that? Is lucid dreaming like, is that being out of your body like you were when you were 22 and you were, I mean, can you pop out and fly around Austin and see what's going on? (laughs) Or are you just kind of like in a dream state and seeing kind of like stuff? How are you, how do you explain that? So usually the way it happens, you are having a dream and then you realize at some point, oh, I'm dreaming. And Mm -hmm. your consciousness realizes you're dreaming. Then you can change the dream to anything you want. So it's as if you're playing around with consciousness is Mm -hmm. the way it feels to me. And so you can create something really beautiful where you're flying through the sky or you're over Spain or you're, you know, somewhere different in the world. Mm -hmm. And, and yet it's all your creation. What what's different about it is sometimes I'm able to manifest better than other times. And people who lucid dream a lot will probably recognize this. Like there are times when I'm trying and I'm just not having a really good experience. You know, like I'm just barely able to fly and I just kind of get up over here and then, okay, I kind of did it. And then I'm back in my body. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times where it's really profound and beautiful. And when I'm in those really profound, beautiful states, it's like I'm manifesting better in my life. So I think it can be a reflection of where our consciousness is at that time. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of my dreams, I'm like fighting people or like running and fighting or like in some kind of, I don't know if it's in a war or what's going on, but I'll realize in the dream, oh, this is stupid. Why am I dreaming this? You know, like, why am I, like, I'm not dreaming this anymore. I'm going to think about something else. And I don't know if that's a lucid dream, but I'll know that like, okay, this is stupid. I'm going to, Let's dream about something else, you know, whatever. Or maybe I'm just conscious and I woke up. I don't know. Well, you can tell yourself if you, that can be your trigger point. So if you get to that point again, then say, I can do whatever I want right now. So if you see yourself fighting, then just Mm -hmm. instead of saying, I'm going to do something else, go, I have the power to do anything I want. And so in that moment, then you can fly or you can do something really amazing in that dream. And so people who want a lucid dream usually like look at their hand or they have some kind of 
trigger point that helps them go, okay, now I'm going to create something different. So yeah, if you stop yourself again, fighting, see if you can fly. (laughs) I got to remember that. All right. So do you have any projects that you're working on that you want people to know about besides your books? Um, People can contact me if they want on my website, trishabarkernde.com. I do have a workshop on October 25th online um, through a yoga studio in town, but it is online and it's um, about connecting and deepening your own intuition where I can answer a lot of questions. And I really want to energetically connect people to their own intuition and their own abilities because that's that's my greatest hope always. I I think this is something we all can do and become more aware of. Oh, that's great. And then you, we, we have the book that we mentioned first, and then you do have a book of poetry, right? Yeah. So my, my book, Angels in the OR, is about my life and near-death experience. The poetry book, Loving Narcissus and Sometimes God, I, that's my focus in graduate school and in college is poetry, actually. And so when I teach, I teach a lot of themes from the other side, kind of mysteriously woven in there when I work with students. And so I decided to just self-publish the book. The Angels in the OR is traditionally published, but I just decided 2020 is a good year to just put something out there that has just been setting, you know, in, on my computer for many years. And anyone who loves poetry is welcome to view it free on Kindle, because if you have Kindle Unlimited, it's free. Oh, okay, great. Do you have any other books? Um, you know, I'm, I do love writing, so I'm working on a young adult novel, which it may have some spiritual themes, but it's really just kind of fun because I know that grade level, I, I taught that age group. And so I'm working on that. That might be a few years before it's out. And I'm also for my college, I'm, and this is just commissioned for the college, but I'm writing about resilience and college success uh, for students to basically succeed. Oh, wow. Okay. That's great. Let me catch another question here. When someone dies too early, is it possible they are sad or angry over there because they didn't want to die early, of course? It's an interesting question. You know, I haven't felt that too often. What I what I have felt in one reading is a, a little bit of guilt uh, when someone died um, because of drug use and they left a kid behind and they were a teenager themselves that there was some guilt surrounding the life that they left behind and some remorse. And there was like, you know, unresolved things in that soul's life. And so I tried to energetically help in that uh, moment, but, but yeah, there seemed to be in that instance, some, but most cases, I think people do go to the light and they do feel just release and they do feel peace around this. And, and they, if there's any regret, they just want to send love to the people who are hurting. They don't want people to hurt forever. Like they want their loved ones to enjoy their life and they know that they'll be reunited with their loved ones. You know, that to them, time feels different over there. And it seems like a short amount of time, like our lives, you know how we look at insects and we think, oh, they just don't live very long. I think that's almost how souls look at the human life over here. They're like, oh, it's really short. <laughs> you're you're going to be here in no time. <laughs> oh, wow. And so there's this sense of we're going to be re- reunited. Don't worry. You know, I've, I often have felt that over there, there is no time and, and it's a timeless place. Would you say that that is true? Yeah. I mean, time is so hard to describe. That's why when they look at us, they just feel like they're going to see us tomorrow. You know, like that's the way it feels to them. They're like, okay, I'll see you soon. You know, it's just this, we're going to reconnect. Don't worry. And, and here, you know, we mourn and it takes just a year to even feel normal after a a major death in our life. And then Mm -hmm. five years before we incorporate it and, and we grieve maybe our whole life in some instances Mm -hmm. for someone we've lost. And Mm -hmm. so over there, there's an acceptance, you know, largely that, Hey, we will see each other again. I think we wonder too much here if we'll be reunited. And that's why I think that intuition is so important because when you can begin to feel some of that love while you, while you live, you feel more empowered here, knowing that there's so much love that is supporting us at all times, mm-hmm. both from the angelic realm, from possible guides, or from mm-hmm. angels, from God, 
from Ascended Masters. There's just so much. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Do you feel like you've figured out that there's a point to life or, you know, like some people say, well, we're here to, you know, learn lessons or there is no point to life. Yeah, that's a good question. I think wisdom is learning how it kind of harkens back to those earlier questions about, you know, are you your best self (laughs) after that accident in all situations? I think we are prepared to be better and better in every situation and that hopefully there is a trajectory of learning, you know, that we are certainly learning lessons. And then hopefully I think, you know, we all wake up hopefully at some point, whether it's just, you know, a book that we read that opens our mind and we follow a path or a convention or a dream or a near-death experience. Hopefully we realize like, hey, this physical is informed by the spiritual. And I think that that is the big wake-up call for so many of us. I know that when I looked from the other side at this physical realm, seems so magical. I mean, angels were working through neurosurgeons. I mean, how amazing is that? And nature can heal us and sends us healing energy when we're depressed or when we're sad or when our bodies hurt. If we just go out into nature, we can feel better. I mean, there's so much that is beautiful and magical about this existence. And I think we are meant to wake up more and more to the beauty of this life and also be connected to the other realm. Hmm. Do you feel like you're going to keep teaching forever? Do you feel obligated because of God wanted you to teach? Or at some point, do you feel like, okay, I've done enough teaching. Now I I can move on to something else. So it's really interesting. About five years ago, right when I was writing the book, I got a message and it it was it sounded the same as when I was in my near-death experience. And it said, your contract is completed. And I was like, what, (laughs) what do I do? And I didn't know what to do. And I still don't know what to do. So I continue teaching, but I'm doing these other things. Like, you know, I start summits and, Mm -hmm. and interview near death experiencers. And I do a lot of things online and teach other types of workshops. But honestly, I feel sorry for all those near death experiencers who weren't given a mission. Cause now I'm like, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You know, like I really don't know. I'm figuring it out because people always attack you and say, oh, you just wrote a book to make money. Um, No, 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 I still have to teach. (laughs) There's not uh, a lot of money in books, people. There's you do it for love. (laughs) Right. That's amazing. Yeah, I was just curious about that. So I appreciate you answering that. Uh, let me see if I have, I thought I had one more question here. When you were there, obviously you were, you were full of energy. Did you ever feel anything physical like being hungry or, you know, or oh. anything that would manifest as a yeah, physical Yeah, like people are asking feeling? about, <laughs> yeah, people yeah. are asking about that. Um, no, I, I have to say, honestly, no. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in that heavenly realm where my grandfather was, mm-hmm. I had to remember that. I was a form. Like I kind of felt like, Oh, I was part of the light. I was just flowing through this energy. Oh, here I'm looking at a blade of grass. Mm -hmm. I felt like this point of consciousness Mm -hmm. more so than than my actual spiritual body. But then I realized I could manipulate the spiritual body that generally we kind of look like ourselves in that Mm -hmm. realm, but full of light Mm -hmm. and we can make ourselves different ages. Maybe we can make ourselves smaller or bigger. You know, Mm -hmm. we can kind of manipulate that, but there isn't this, physical sensation of, Oh, I'm going to go pluck this blade of grass. It's you just see that everything is made of energy. Right. That's very interesting. I got a nice comment that says, thank you for all your positive messages. You are beautiful inside and out. Oh, well, thanks. (laughs) I need to hang on to those positive comments and not worry so much about the attacks. (laughs) Um, Sweet. Thanks. One a couple of things that I noticed on your Facebook and I found it very interesting is you had mentioned something that there's a lot of competition in I don't know if it was in the NDE world or the I mean the NDE people on or or spiritual people in in on earth not in that you know not in that environment if you, well, if you care to comment I about think- that or not not so much NDE groups, but I think I'm one of these people who's very communal. Like I'm always looking for how can we all work together mm-hmm. and create a better community. And I just find that 
people who attack or talk badly about people or, you know, come from this ego driven place uh, are not creating that. Like, I mean, one of the reasons why I created the first and second, third um, NDE summit online is to get out other people's experiences and to interview them and talk with them and promote other people who have these amazing experiences. And I think, that community can be really beautiful and important. I think largely we are a community, but I think, um, yeah, at times people can be competitive and that's the wrong energy. Like yeah. to me, like if, if you're talking about spirituality and enlightenment and then we can all shine and all be successful and in our own ways. Like it's not a competition. It's a spreading of light and it's a spreading of enlightenment across the planet and that we are connected in that way. And that's just that that's what I want to promote and what I want to believe in that I, I care about other people. I don't care if someone's more successful, has more followers, does well. Like I'm just happy that the message is getting out there. Yeah. I think that's great. You know, I think maybe the competitiveness, you know, some of it maybe just within our within our genes, but you know, some of it also is just maybe insecurity, jealousy, you know, just human things that take over for on some people at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, none of us are perfect. I'm sure I, you know, have my moments of not doing the best either, but you know, I mean I would assume that there's others that are worse than, than others. <laughs> yeah. I'll kind of leave that yeah. there. I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, yeah, it's just interesting. Like, mm. I think we, many of us enter the spiritual community and we think everyone's going to be enlightened and it's going to be awesome. And it's, mm. and then these, you know, very ordinary things crop up or someone's jealous of you over a guy or someone mm. dislikes you for the, and you just think, really? Like, seriously, we can't get beyond that. Can, can we just rise up a little bit more than this? You know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap it up, let's end on something positive. So can you give us one last positive message to go on with? Yes. And that is, if love is all that matters, then people often ask me this question all the time and they'll say, oh, but no one's loving me right now. I'm like, no, no, no. You go out and you love that tree and you love the night sky and you adopt an animal and you volunteer somewhere and you be love in motion and you love yourself. You know, do something for that inner child, that wounded inner child inside of you that you didn't get. You parent yourself. You love yourself. You find ways to love this world because Anytime you do that, you're taking that love with you into eternity. So I know that, you know, for all the mistakes I've made, I know that God forgives them instantly and that all the love I gave to those students and that I gave to people, that's what my soul gets to take with me. And it is such a good feeling. So the more love you give to the, this world, the more love you have inside of you. And it's, it's wonderful. Oh, that's a great, I mean, that. I love that because, that, I mean, that's just a great thing that you take the love that you've given with you. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I, I want to remember that. Yeah. And you don't take any of the hurt. So all those things that people have done, you know, if you've been bullied or hurt or abused in life, ugh, you leave it on the ground. That's over. That's done. You don't Do you, take that with you. Do you believe that you take that more with you as the love that you've given more than the love that you received? Or do you not even take the love that you've received with you? Only You know, you, you do. You, t you do take the love you've received too, but it's like, it's a part of your soul. Like your soul is almost like made of the jewels of the love that you've given. And, you know, you, it, it's like, you get to take that beauty the love connections that you have with other people, you just stay connected that way and say, say even the worst of relationships, maybe there was a thread of love and then there was a lot of darkness. Well, you just take that thread, you know, it's like all that darkness is forgiven and you just take the little bit of love that existed and the rest just didn't exist. Oh, that's great. All right, Trisha, thank you so much <laughs> for your time this evening. It was a great interview. Um, I wish you massive success with your book with your class that's coming up and anything else that you're getting into well thank you jeff this was a ton of fun and yeah. i wish you lots of success as well and have fun out there talking with all these interesting people yes all right well have a good evening <laughs> you too bye, bye.